Alrighty, well, shalom everybody, and uh, welcome to this week's uh, study for the Torah portion maquettes. And uh, today we got a good buddy of ours here. We got uh, actually we got two Christophers here today, so you know this will this will be uh, very confusing for everybody, uh, which will be a lot of fun. <laughs> But uh, for those who are watching online and don't know, what we end up doing in terms of uh, this is that we end up having a couple of segments that we go through. First, we start out with the Semitic language of the Torah portion, and then we have a Hasidic thought and Hasidic theology within the Torah portion. Then we have the Messiah within that of the Torah, and then we go through a passage in the Zohar. And we're getting shaloms from everywhere over here today. So everybody, is, I guess, is happy to be here, well, and, that, and that's great. And uh, just so you guys know, um, after, after after this is over with, give me at least until the morning, and we'll have this up on iTunes, on uh, YouTube, Vimeo, and also on the Lapid Judaism website as well that you can download absolutely free. And some people have been asking me if we're going to put the notes up there, and I need to probably start doing that. So I'll have the notes up for this week and the slides that it is that we are going to uh, be having on here. But before we get started into the Semitic language of uh, in maquettes, uh, uh, Chris, you got any uh, any uh, anything that kind of jumped out at you in this week's Torah portion? Oh, there's uh, so much in this thing. It's just unreal. Uh, you could go on for days on it, really. But uh, <laughs> uh, other than, you know, the the name that he that joseph was changed to i think is, is pretty significant when it comes to the languages and and what it reveals and, uh but there's a lot to it i mean i'll just uh follow your lead and we'll go from there man all right well uh and if and you know at any point you want to jump in just have at it and uh, we'll start out with the semitic language within that of the torah portion maquettes and so let me make sure I got my slides in order here. And it appears I actually may have them in order this time. And uh, do you want to read the Hebrew there or do you want me to do it? Uh, I think you better do it. I might okay. not do it as good a justice. <laughs> <laughs> now, just so you guys know, um, Chris is also um, one of our students at the Hebrew and Aramaic Learning Institute as well. And uh, has, has it been helpful for you so far? Oh, I'll be honest with you. Uh, I haven't had time to uh, really get into it. Uh, I've been tisk, working tisk. for months, but uh, we'll definitely, as soon as time permits, uh, be studying it. So I've already, I know a little bit about the language. So excellent. Uh, I'm definitely looking to dive into it. Seems like a good chance. Okay. Well, uh, the first verse we're going to go to is uh, 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 Bereshis or Genesis chapter forty-one, verse thirty-eight. And uh, within the, the Masoretic text of the Hebrew there, it says, Vayomer paro el avadav han mitzah chas ish asher ruach Elohim bo. Okay, now there is uh, something here in terms of this that a lot of people uh, don't realize in terms of this phrasing here. Now, the phrasing here, and I'll go and pull up this slide here, and this will give us a little bit of insight, where it says, Now, Paro, or Pharaoh, uh, declared a man who um, has God's spirit in him. The Hebrew here is Ruach Elohim. But in Jewish literature, uh, we also have Ruach 
Elohim referred to as Ruach HaKodesh. And so the thing about it, though, is that is that these things are one in the same. Now, um, the thing that's interesting about this, <coughs> and this is one of the things that, you know, uh, Christopher, you probably have heard me say that if a person doesn't know Semitic language, that they should probably have many different translations that don't necessarily agree with one another. And this is one of those instances why. Because the sages go back and forth in terms of this spirit here, because the word Elohim is the singular plural of, of, of God, and um, it is the singular plural of Eloah, which is the absolute singular. And basically, better to better describe this, is the difference between Echad and Yachid. Okay, Yachid is an absolute one. Echad is a unified one. And so the thing that's interesting about this is that the sages kind of go back and forth in terms of this as to whether or not it's talking about the gods of Egypt or whether it's talking about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so several different uh, um, translations kind of go back and forth in terms of this. Uh, do, you, do you have anything, any uh, insight that you'd like to give in terms of that? Uh, anything from kind of your perspective there? No, I was reading the, the Midrash, and they were kind of talking about that somewhat. Uh, you know, that the wisdom was not of his and, and things of that, and it kind of showed that, you know, maybe it wasn't from God, but maybe they're gods because, of course, they worshipped, uh, they had a God for everything, kind of like, in, you know, the the Exodus, you know, the ten plagues were, were a direct assault on their gods, so to speak, so... I don't think Pharaoh maybe quite knew where Joseph was really coming from. He just knew that he had the answer to his dreams, and someone of higher power, so to speak, gave it to him. Uh, thereby pretty much making him have to confess uh, Hashem as the one true God. Absolutely. Now, did you end up getting your your uh, your Medrash Rabbah? Uh, no, not yet. I'm still working on oh, that okay. One. Okay, so so translations of everything else. So I'm, you know, I'm a firm believer in, in digging through everything and and you know, using it basically like a lawyer would and and see what all's there and then uh, take the evidence and, and make it into the, what's the truth and what's not. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, there's a little bit more in the Hebrew to compound upon this here, and so we have um, another verse here. And uh, these things all kind of come together here. It says, Vayomer paro el Yosef achari hadia Elohim otecha et cholzot ien navon avichacham kamocha. Okay, now it says in the English here, Paro said to Yosef, since God has uh, let you know all this, it proves that there is no one as understanding and as wise as you. Now, the thing that that's interesting about this is that Yosef, all he did really was go and interpret a dream. You know, so this is very interesting to why it is that this was such a big deal, just going and interpreting a dream that, that Paro had. And with this comes something that we... You know, this isn't necessarily the, the Semitic uh, or the Hasidic thought segment, but there is a little bit of Hasidic thought in terms of this when we uh, look at passages 
within that of Brett Tadashah, because the thing that we have to ask ourselves is that when it comes to a person who leads a congregation or they end up going and, um, you know, are a leader in some way, shape or form within that of the faith of Yeshua, what are some of the things that it is that they have to encapsulate? You want to take a stab at that? Uh, they definitely have to, uh, I believe, uh, study their word and not necessarily uh, rewrite teachings that uh, have been written before, just rewording them. Uh, you know, definitely has to be in truth. And, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, you can ultimately speak someone, speak to someone in truth uh, without offending them, but yet telling them the truth and, and being uh, in a gentle manner, so to speak. Uh, that's something I'm haven't been so great with, uh, but, uh, you know, it's something I'm working on. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so, so basically, you know, and, and you got the right answer there because one of the things that we see the Paro is talking about here is the attributes of Binah, of Chokmah and Givura. Now, the thing that makes this thing so interesting in terms of that is that when you look at Avraham, Yitzhak and Yochov, each of them encapsulated one of those things. Um, we have, um, first of all, uh, Avraham Avenu, who encapsulated chesed, which is loving kindness. Then it is that we had uh, Yitzhak, um, who encapsulated Gevura, which is strength and judgment. And then we have um, Yochov, who encapsulated Da'at. He was, he was kind of in the middle. And, and so the thing that's interesting about this is, for those who are familiar with what is called the sefirot and, and uh, Kabbalist literature, those are a straight line within that. And most people go and encapsulate one pillar or the other. But the thing that's interesting here is that the words of Paro in terms of Yosef, we see him going through all three of the pillars of the sefirot. And this is why it is in many ways that the attribute of Mashiach ben Yosef, you know, why it's named Mashiach ben Yosef, because of the fact that Mashiach ben Yosef comes from the idea of what it is that Yosef himself encapsulated. And when we go to Brit Hadashah, as a matter of fact, we have some, uh, we, we, we have something that kind of verifies this. When we, if we go to Colossians chapter one, verse nine, reading from the Orthodox Jewish Bible, it says, therefore, we also, from the day that we heard, do not cease davening uh, for you and offering tefalos uh, uh, and be filled with da'as of the ratzom, Hashem, and all chokmah, and binah, and in ruach hakodesh. Ruach hakodesh is also ruach elohim as well. And so we have those two verses kind of tied together. But we also have Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2, coming from that of, you know, the, um, uh, you know, that's in the middle of the Bible. And it says, Ruach HaKodesh of Hashem, which again, it deals with that of Ruach Elohim, shall rest upon you the Ruach Chokmah and Binah, the Ruach of Etzah and Gevura and the Ruach of Da'as and Yorat Hashem, you know, and so... We have we have this concept here that basically goes and stems from that of Yosef, and, and many times we don't really see it. Uh, uh, pretty interesting stuff. Yeah, Joseph was definitely uh, one of compassion and and moved up on when he seen his brothers 
come in and, uh, you know, instead of holding, uh, I guess, hatred towards what they did to him, he was moved for compassion with them and, and showed them love. And, you know, like he didn't hold it against them. You know, most people hold stuff against people and he definitely encapsulated Mashiach. Absolutely. And, and, and also at the same time, he also had some of the other attributes as well, because we noticed that uh, in terms of um, we, we, we see him going and doing uh, Gavora with the whole thing of, you know, sending the brothers back and forth and all of that stuff and, you know, not really going and revealing to them and then, you know, going and throwing um, going and throwing Simeon, you know, into prison for three days and all that stuff. You know, so we so we kind of see him kind of move one way to the other and all and all this stuff we also see that he had dot because he was you know he ended up going and changing his appearance so they wouldn't recognize him and all those things that we also see within that of the story as well so we see he encapsulated a lot of those things that uh you know it's really hard for an individual to go from one to the other you know and all that stuff yeah there's a i think there's a lot of connection too with with you know mashiach as far as with Yeshua, you know, uh, kind of being hidden amongst his brothers, the, the Jews and, and the Pharisees, and them not being able to see who he was, uh, I think it kind of shows a little bit in there, too. I think there's some ties to that. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And that'll be one of the things we get into in the uh, Mashiach and the Torah at um, uh, part, part, part of this. And you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. You picked up on something there. Um, but, uh, should we go on to the Hasidic theology? Sure. Let's go for it. All right. Now in this segment, uh, what we do is we kind of go through the words of the sages and, uh, see what it is that they have to say about, uh, certain parts of the Torah portion and all that stuff. And I ended up getting a little pop up here and there we go. Got it to go away. And, uh, so where we're going to be looking here is we're going to be going to uh, Genesis chapter 44, verse 9. And it says, Whichever one of your servants is found to have the goblet shall die. Also, he will be slaves to my master if it is found. Now, does this sound familiar at all? Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think of where it's from, though. <laughs> I'll give you a hint. Rachel. Yeah, when she, uh, uh, I believe she stole the uh, idol and yep. uh, was trying to hide it on the, the camel. And of course, she was unrichly clean, so to speak. And uh, she couldn't, she used that as a, as a way to not get off the camel and not be found. <laughs> Absolutely. So to speak. Absolutely. Yep, and uh, so, you know, that citation can be found in Genesis 31, 32. Uh, this is while reading from the Golden Chomish. It says, um, in answer to your second question, whoever you find has your idols shall not live in front of our relatives. Identify for yourself which of your possessions is with me and take it for yourself. But Yochov uh, did not know that Rachel had stolen them. Now, um, this is some pretty interesting stuff, and I see that Gary is late, but Gary, we're pulling him in here. Uh, shalom there, Gary. Where you been? Yes, Got my granddaughter, Eliana, here with me a little bit. Oh, awesome. Awesome. That's great. 
That's great. Well, we'll go ahead and uh, uh, pick up here where we left off. So yeah. we see, so we see that these two stories are very much uh, are very much related here. Oh. And uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to mute Gary there for a minute, <laughs> where you're getting a little bit of a lot of background over there. So just going to mute him for for the moment there. <laughs> But uh, oh, he dropped off. Poor guy. <laughs> Hope I didn't upset him. Didn't I? Didn't mean to upset him. If I did, <laughs> I look like it. it's cool. It, it's just sure sounded that way. But uh, one of the things that we have over here is that this is from from Medrash Lachach uh, Tov, and it says because Jacob said, "With whomever you find your gods, he shall not live." She was punished, but her judge. Um, she was punished, but her judgment was not carried out until she was in childbirth, okay, in terms of Rachel. And so the thing about it, though, is the thing that we have to realize is that in terms of when a person makes an oath or a vow, or, and when it comes to an oath and a vow, you don't have to say, this is an oath or this is a vow. Basically, what they say is they say, this is what I'm going to do. And if a person doesn't go, go and fulfill that, then there are consequences, you know, and this is one of the things that Yaakov said that he would do whenever it was that Rachel had gone out with the, uh, um, with the, uh, the idol and all that other stuff. He said that, you know, the person that has the idol is going to die. And we see that, uh, you know, basically the same thing is said within this week's Torah portion as well. And so this reminds me of, uh, of an old Hasidic story a very popular Hasidic story. Where in, in the world that is actually cited at, I couldn't tell you, but I've heard this story God knows how many times. In fact, they even made a short film on it called Advice and Dissent, and you can find it for free like on YouTube and also on Vimeo and other places as well. And the story goes like this. There was a, um, a man that was having issues with his wife, didn't love his wife at all, and the issue was that um, the the rab there was a, a great rebbe that came into town, and everybody was going to the rebbe to go and to get a blessing from the rebbe. Well, this man goes and he says um, he gets go, goes goes to talk to the rebbe, and the rebbe said, "What kind of blessing is it is that you're wanting?" And the man says, "Well, it's not really a blessing; it's more a curse." And he's like, well, that's kind of out of the ordinary. What ex what exactly are you wanting? You know, what, 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 is, what is this curse that you're asking for? He says, I want my wife to die. This is a really dark story, okay? <laughs> it's a very dark story. He says, I want my wife to die. And he goes and he says, I, I, I really don't feel comfortable doing this. I really don't. But it says within the Talmud that if you go and you make a promise, a really big one, and you don't fulfill it, then your wife will die. You know, within 30 days, she'll just, you know, go and drop dead. And so basically, so he, so he goes and, and uh, goes and just kind of waits around 30 days pass and his wife is okay. You know, and the promise that he made is that he went to the synagogue and they want to add an extra wing to the, to, to the synagogue. And he says, he says, I will go and donate $100,000 to the, 
and you know for, for 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 this to be done so they were going and called him and they're like hey dude where's that hundred thousand hey he goes i'm not planning on paying it you know and so that was that, that was the whole thing 30 days go by the rebbe comes back in town he goes to see the rebbe and he's like she's still around what's going on and he goes well you know the blessing or the, or the it only really works the curse will only really work if you really love your wife and he goes and he says i don't and he says well can you fake it and he goes what do you mean he, he says well you know whenever it is that you know she you know um whenever it is that you, the, the, you come home bring her flowers you know go and you know compliment her on how, how it is that she looks compliment her on every single thing you know just do all of these things for her that you know that she deserves as a wife you know and all these things and so what happens is he goes and he does starts to do these things and the relationship starts to get a whole lot better you know by him fulfilling his role by him essentially being the yod which is one of the things i've talked about before how it is that the word for man in Hebrew is spelled the same way as the word for woman, but the word for man has a yod, and the word for woman has a hay within it. And the yod and the hay is one of the two-letter names for God. And so what happens is, you know, the yod signifies humility. A man's supposed to be humble to that of his wife. He's supposed to, you know, bridge that connection from the prong heading towards heaven and the one pointing towards earth. He's supposed to exemplify that. And so the thing is that, you know, um, so he goes and starts, starts to do this. And then he has a horrible nightmare. He has a nightmare of where the house is caught on fire and his wife is trapped within that of the house. So he goes and gets up and rushes to the Rebbe's office, goes and rushes over there. And he says, he says, I don't know what to do. He says, you know, the, the uh, we have gone and done this curse on, on, on my wife of me going to make him this promise that I have no intention on keeping. And, you know, basically, I, I, I love her now. You know, I, she's my entire world to me. And so the thing is that the, 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 rabbi, the, the rabbi knew that this was going to happen all along. He knew that this is the way it was going to play out. And so basically he was in cahoots with the synagogue to make sure that he paid the hundred, the $100,000 to the synagogue. And so he goes and gives the $100,000 to the synagogue so that his wife will live. And they built a new wing onto the synagogue and named it after him. So it's, it's very interesting that people don't really realize that, you know, oaths and vows. And, you know, when Yeshua says, let your yes be yes. And your no be no, how serious of a thing that really is. Anything that you'd like to add in terms of that? Well, uh, as far as words go, and which I mean, technically, an oath is a word spoken. Uh, I did a little bit of studying in science and things like that, but uh, there was a a, a scientist that uh, projected out into space a message, and uh, I don't remember how many years went past, but it came back, bounced off whatever it bounced off of. It's a radio wave or a frequency, so to speak. It bounced back. And they caught it so many years later. So it just goes to show that whatever you put out there is still out there and, you know, moving around and that words really do have quite an impact and they do stick to you, you know what I mean? So to speak, they Absolutely. do come back. So, uh, you know, I've done a lot of studying in uh, somatics, which is a study of sound and the shapes and stuff like that. And uh, 
I did some studies on that, you know, proving the word of Hashem and how even though we can't hear his voice, everything has a vibration from the stars to the rocks to everything that, you know, through his voice, things can change, you know. So uh, I like studying science and, and the Torah and putting them together personally. But Absolutely. Uh, a different uh, topic. <laughs> that reminds me of the, uh, have you heard the story about the three bowls of rice? The guy from China that had the three bowls of rice? No, I don't think so. There was a guy, and this was an actual thing that that was that was that was done. There was this scientist that was actually going and researching the very things that it is that you're talking about, and he had three bowls of rice, and one of them he um, ended up going and hooking a little speaker into the bowl, and it was a recording that would be on repeat of him praising the rice and going and saying all these good things about the rice and all this stuff, and then in the in another bowl of rice. He ended up going and uh, having a recording where he's cursing at the rice. He's going and saying, you know, you're bad and all these things, just, you know, horrible things to the rice. And the other one, he just left out and just didn't do anything to it. And the thing that's interesting is that after 10 days, the one that he had the speaker in where it was going and speaking all the good things to the rice and all that stuff, it uh, smelled fresher than fresh. I had a sweet aroma to it and all these things. The one that uh, he was saying and cursing at the rice and saying all these bad things about the rice and all that stuff, uh, that bowl of rice actually turned black within one day. And then the other one, of course, does with rice what you know happens when it's just kind of set out. And that very much has a, uh, a, a lot of uh, Semitic theology behind it because in Aramaic, the word melta, which is the word for word, uh, like a spoken word is also the word that means manifestation, instance, substance, and incantation. So all of these things are definitely a part of that. And that's why the sages say that when a person commits Lashon Hara, they go and they speak evil against a person, that those words are suspended in the cosmos somewhere. And I almost wonder when we look at cancer, you know, on the rise and so many different disease and all of these things being on the rise. I almost wonder, and we could probably prove this scientifically, if it is from Lashon Hara. Yeah, and that's I why. I, uh, yeah. I actually tried to, to teach people, uh, when, of course, you know, you know, a little bit of my background. I did a lot of time in prison and uh, I, uh, of course, my conversion happened there, but I tried to teach people that, uh, you know, through the, the studies that I'd done and also through the, I believe it was the Mishnah talking about the sand. And when the, when the Levites sung, the sand would create the shapes and, of the letters. But I also told them, you know, that, that Hashem can literally speak and the vibrations of his voice can either take away that cancer or it can put it in there due to the fact of, you know, it's kind of a judgment, so to speak, on uh, the things you put out there, you know. Absolutely. Very much so, you know, and, and that's... You know, that there, 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 is, there is so much Semitic thought in that because, you know, when you look at like the Zohar and all that stuff, it goes and it talks about, um, you know, how it is that God had gone and created the entire world by using the Hebrew letters, how, you know, he spoke everything into existence. And Hadassah says over here, our thoughts are important too. And she's absolutely right because when we – Think about Lashon Hara, we actually got to get to the root of the issue. The root of the issue 
is not the Lashon Hara. It's rather a product which produces another product. We have to battle and defeat Amalach, which is represented by that of the Yetzahara, the evil inclination that each and every single one of us have within us that basically put up a wall between us and Hashem and cause us to not fulfill the two most important mitzvahs. Well, it's kind of like in the, in the Brit Hadashah, it says that, you know, that when you conceive something in your mind that you should take a captive and, and stop it right there before it goes out basically into Lashon Hara to produce, uh, you know, through the Yetzahara. Yeah. That's kind of that's... A, a, definitely a, a principle of, you know, uh, when that thought comes to mind, you got to instantly take it captive and, and put it back to where it belongs, which is not a, a Hashem. And, uh, you know, pray that, you know, he forgives that thought for even coming to mind and uh, ask him to uh, intercede on our behalf and uh, get rid of that. So, yeah, I agree with that 100%. Our, our thoughts is where sin is conceived, and uh, it goes from there. Yeah, that's why Yeshua even says, don't even look at a woman in lust because you've already committed adultery within that of your heart. So it deals with the thoughts and it deals with the heart, very much so. Um, Hannah goes and says, the same has been done for plants. Negative words spoken to the plant cause them to wither and the uh, and die. Uh, positive words make them grow faster. And yeah, I think I've heard that as well. Absolutely. I just saw a video on that this morning. I was watching and uh, a bunch of little kids were screaming at one plant and the other one, they were talking nice to it. And it literally turned almost black and withered away while the other one was flourishing. Oh, wow. <laughs> crazy, yeah. So there's definitely truth in all that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, let's see here. I'll uh, see if anybody in the chat here has anything to add to that before we go to uh, Messiah in the Torah. Um, now, this one of, the, one of the things is that this is probably has the most slides out of all of them. I think I got like 20 slides on this because of the fact that one of the things that I've noticed is that many people talk about the concept of Mashiach ben Yosef this time of the year for, for the next couple of Torah portions. But the thing about though is that I think we have done a horrible job in our face, sadly, of going and looking at the words of Hazel through this to validate these things. And I think it's something that um, definitely um, needs to be done. And Otto tells us Yeshua cured the fig tree. Absolutely. So um, it looks like that's all we got there. So uh, we'll go ahead and jump into this here. And uh, it says in Genesis 41.1, Maketz, at the end of the two years, it happened that Paro was dreaming, and look, he was standing by the Nile. Now, it doesn't really seem like there's very much of anything there, but whenever it is that we end up going to Genesis Rabbah, 89 verse 1, it says, The Holy One, blessed be He, determined to set a mound of time for the world to spend in spiritual darkness. What is the proof? It is written in Job 28.3, He sets an end to darkness, the rock and gloom and the shadow of death. For as long as the evil one exists in the world, gloom and the shadow of death exists in the world. But when the evil one is uprooted from the world and gloom and the shadow of death will pass away, from the world. Another interpretation of the words, he set an end to darkness, refers to the fixed number of years he set 
for Joseph to spend in prison. When the appointed time came, Paro dreamed a dream. Thus it says, now it happened at the end of two years. Now, the thing with the with two there and what the Genesis Rabbah is talking about there is there's there, there's there's so many different things. The number two can refer to the um, to basically two extremes and two opposites, which would be, you know, like, for instance, Yetzer Hatov and Yetzahara, the inclination of good and the inclination of evil that deals with, you know, um, either going going the way of you know the other side or going the way of Hashem, and we also have another interesting thing here that we could also take from Genesis Rabbah that uh, for those who don't know the letter Beit, which represents two, um, it uh, uh, the the number um, it also rep uh, represents when you take the word Beit. And you change the Nakud, you get the word bayit, which is the word for house. And so it's interesting, those who don't know Hebrew that well think that there are word pictures. They think that, you know, oh, the bait looks like a house. Well, it doesn't, but, but you know, that's what's often taught. You know, but the but the actual thing is that when it comes to Hebrew, you take, for instance, the word aleph. You know, they say, well, that's an ox. Well, no, the word aluf, you know, refers to uh, uh, to things that are very much ox-like, you know, and that the yod is a hand. No, the yod's not a hand, but if you go and you change the nakud for the word yod, then you get the word yod. Dalit is the same way. Change the nakud for delit, and you have that of the uh, of of a door. You know, they're they're not word pictures. These are just you know things that are. Um, you know, that's that's the Semitic thought or, or around this. So when we go and we see that, first of all, we have uh, Yosef within prison for two years. It, there's also another thing that we could kind of pull from this as well, that he goes from being this lowly individual within prison for two years, and then he becomes second in charge in the land of Egypt. And so in many ways, we have the resurrection story within that whole thing right there. Anything you'd like to add to that one until we go to the next one? Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the resurrection's all over it, uh, especially, uh, you know, uh, I kind of did a little study on it. And uh, although... Throughout the story, you know, Israel is called Jacob, except for but a couple times until Joseph comes back in the picture. And mm -hmm. it's almost like the resurrection, number one, of, yeah. of Yeshua. But it's also like the coming together of Israel as a whole, the remnant being brought back as, as all 12 tribes uh, coming back to, you know, their inheritance, so to speak. Absolutely. Uh, it's something I kind of noticed, uh, you know, and. Of course, I think that has something to do with the resurrection, but uh, more of a, a shadow to it, so to speak. Absolutely. Absolutely. And good insight there. Really good stuff. Let's see here. We'll go to the next one here, which is uh, Genesis 41, verses 2 through 3. And it said, Then from the Nile, look, there were seven nice-looking, well-built cows, three coming up, um, and, and they pastured in the marshland. Then look, seven other ugly-looking thin cows were coming after them from the Nile, and they stood beside the other cows on the bank of the Nile. 
and we can, you know, from, from the Prashat, there really doesn't seem to be much there, does there? Except for the interpretation of the dream. No. But then when we go to Sanhedrin 97a within that at the Talmud, this is what it says here. It says, our rabbis taught in the seven years of the son of David's coming. In the first year, the verse from Amos chapter 4, verse 7, that says, I would send rain on one city and on another city, I would send rain will be fulfilled. In the second, arrows of hunger will be sent forth. In the third, a great famine, during which men, women, infants, uh, devout men of deeds would die. And the Torah will be forgotten by her students. In the fourth, plenty and no plenty. In the fifth, great plenty, when men will eat and drink and rejoice, and the Torah will return to his disciples. In the sixth, voices or noises. In the seventh, wars. And then, at the end of the seven, the son of David will come. Rabbi Yosef objected, by many, um, but many uh, such sevens have passed, and yet he has not come. Abbe says, uh, was there ever voices in the sixth year and wars in the seventh? Have such troubles ever come in order? Now, the thing about it, though, is that within this passage here, they go on to talk a little bit more about the, um, the concept of the Messianic era. They go and they talk about uh, how there's three sets of 2,000 years, which go to the year uh, 6,000. 6, now, it could be Agadah and Midrashim. You know, but you know, let's just say it's say say it's say it's not. Let's say that they have some 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 really privileged information here. And with that, we are in the year fifty seven seventy nine right now. Every year we see people go in and trying to predict the end of the world is going to be this year. Usually happens, you know, every September and every December people go and predict this. But the but the thing about it though is that all of these things that are mentioned here. Um, even though we have Mashiach ben Yosef, we have to understand something, that Mashiach ben Yosef and Mashiach ben David are the same Mashiach, okay? And I know that's hard to think about because we think servant and king is being diametrically opposed. But in Semitic times, especially during this times, the job of a king, especially a Semitic king, a Jewish king, was to be a servant unto the people. And so the thing about it, though, is that when we see this concept of Mashiach ben David, which is talked about here, which maps out basically the book of Revelation in Sanhedrin 97a, the thing that's interesting here is that we, we, we see that it's not too far of a jump from Mashiach ben Yosef to Mashiach ben David. Anything you'd like to add there for that? Well, I have to definitely agree with that. I mean, any anybody that's in any position of power should be a, a servant of those who they are basically leading i mean they're technically a role model so to speak and uh you know as as i believe the i believe it's the talmud says that you know king david used to wake up at 12 o'clock and and study the torah in order to serve his people and to teach right ruling and, and things of that nature so yeah i definitely believe that uh for me that's not a hard concept to grasp because the true ruler and, and a true uh, role model will put forth what's right and what's just and uh, lead by example, so to speak. You know, our, our current uh, situation is uh, kind of crazy, but, uh, you know, they don't follow the things that have been put forth in the Torah. Well, you know, that's one of the things that we, you know, in, in, in today's time, it has gotten, and it doesn't matter what country a person's in, you know, the, the this concept of a servant and a king being 
one and one and the same seems very foreign and and understandably so during during this time but the thing that we also end up seeing that i see to be a, a huge problem is that many people have kind of you know especially in, in in faith have kind of gotten their politics to become their their god in many ways you know you can see people all the time you know uh you know proclaiming that yeshua is the messiah but their discussions are always on politics uh you know trying to justify one side or the other whatever side it is that they're on and you know so you know the thing the thing with that is that you know it's it, it, it's it's one of those things that you know um we got to really be careful of. Yeah, I agree. I kind of got wrapped up in that in this last little election ordeal. So uh, I had to pretty much quit watching the news and, and just put all that out of my mind because I found myself getting uh, worked up over what's going on around me. And, you know, ultimately, you know, Hashem is, is in control and he's going to do what he wants. And I just have to trust and believe that whoever he puts in power has his purpose and, uh, you know, and, it's going to serve what he wants done, not not what I want done or what the next person wants done or the next group or whatever you want to call them. You know, it's it's ultimately he put them in that position for a reason. And oh, exactly. I just have to trust and believe that, uh, you know, he knows what's best and uh, it's going to bring about ultimately the Messiah. Absolutely. You know, but one of the things I think we got to be careful of is that we see a lot of people, especially during today's time, that have tried to equate American politics with you know the book of revelation and 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 all that stuff saying well you know this president is the messiah this president is you know the devil and all that stuff you have people saying the same thing about any particular politician yeah i went to uh, actually me and amanda went to a prophecy summit uh you know and i was just blown away by how they're trying to compare israel to the united states and the biblical stories to this and that numbers and i'm going I mean, it literally made my stomach turn. I'm going, these well, people just out here well, for the dollar. Well, and you I know why them. they're doing that, don't you? Oh, they're about the money. Book sales. Well, <laughs> well not only that, but that's Mormonism. That's <laughs> Mormon <laughs> theology. Yeah, you know, you don't, see, you don't see America talked about anywhere in the Bible. It's focused on Israel, <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's like, uh, you know, like when we first, me and Amanda started seeing each other, she uh, liked some of certain uh, proclaimed rabbis that you've spoken of. Uh, of course, uh, you know, the blood moons and all that. I was in prison when that happened. And, like, I was technically a Hebrew roots guy, so I was all in on a lot of that. And I'm literally waiting for the world to end. And, you know, it, it goes <laughs> by two or three blue, uh, red moons and nothing happens. So it kind of put a bad taste in my mouth. So now whenever I hear that kind of stuff, it's just like, it just completely turns me off and you know it, it reminds me of you know a false prophet <laughs> you know i'm not supposed to listen to them or hear anything i have to say because you know ultimately if, if they say a word and it doesn't come true you know what hashem says about that oh yeah you know well you know he had a, he, he had a lot of and i know who you talk about because it was an old friend of mine <laughs> And, uh, you know, he had a lot of success with his with his first book. And I was like, oh, well, that's that's cute. You know, and then and then, you know, when his next one came out about the, the moons and all that stuff, I was like, I was like, dude, I got to I got to uh, I got to I got to correct you here. And I or I got to go away. One of the two. And yeah. ultimately, you know, he was he, he was like, well, you, you know. know, after the fourth, <laughs> September 23rd, nothing happened. You know, <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, okay. Well, it's time to move on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, speaking of moving on, let's go to our next verse here. We got, so so Pharaoh uh, sent a messenger and called for Yosef. They rushed him from the dungeon. They cut his hair, um, especially for the king, changed his prison clothes, and he came to Pharaoh, as we see in Genesis 41, 14, reading from the Gutenberg Homish. Okay, big deal. What does this have to do with anything? Well, let's go to Sephorno. Sephorno says this in terms of this verse. He says, this is the way that God brings about salvation. Now, the thing that's interesting about that, you know, uh, I don't mean to stop in the middle of the slide here, but the word salvation is the word yeshuot or yeshua. The yeshuot is the plural for a massive salvation of many people, yeshua, spelled the same way as the Messiah's name with a hey at the end that elongates the A sound is you know, another word for salvation, which is very interesting. It happens in a moment, as it says in Isaiah 56, 1, for my Yeshua salvation is about to come and my righteousness will be revealed. This is also stated in Psalm 81, 14. I will quickly subdue their enemies as the rabbis of blessed memory said our forefathers did not have time to allow their dough to leaven before the king of kings, the holy one, blessed be he, redeem them. This is likewise stated regarding the future redemption, as it is said in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come. And that right there is from Sephorno. Anything that you'd like to say about that one there? Yeah, it definitely, you know, speaks to the resurrection a lot. Uh, you know, of course, new robes and get cleaned up, you know, and, and righteousness, you know, kind of a parallel to that. And, uh, I mean, you could even go so far as, you know, to being similar to the Nazarite vow, shaving all your hair off, so to speak, and, you know, coming forth in righteousness and to uphold his laws you know, for the rest of your life, or the life to come, so to speak. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, He's a lot of messianic implications. Yeah. yeah and you're speaking of the, the vow of the Nazir, right? Yeah. 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 yeah the vow of, now, for those who don't know, the vow of the Nazir, a person does for a period of time, usually about 40 days or so, is usually, it's not really said about how long a person has has to do that, but what they do is when they take the vow of the Nazir, there's certain things that deal with uh, ritual cleanliness that they have to stay away from. Like it can't be around dead body, can't have vinegar, um, you know, and 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 all these things. And they end up going and shaving their head and all this stuff. And we have this vow being spoken of uh, with some of Paul's friends. He goes and helps them along the way with that with that vow. And there are certain people. Um, who many have speculated within the New Testament who have taken such a vow, uh, such as Yohanan the Immerser. As a matter of fact, it's some that some have speculated uh, took the vow of the Nazir and did it throughout his entire life. Um, I don't know what the evidence is of that, but so I'm not going to dismiss the evidence, but that's uh, some of the things that have been said. Yeah, that's, uh, I haven't heard anything about that one, but uh, I mean, it definitely makes sense. Uh, his ministry was definitely one of repentance and uh, uh, completely set apart to Hashem. Uh, Absolutely, they died as I know of. <laughs> but how? But, 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 then, but then again, you can't have vinegar, but you can eat locusts. You know, I mean, that just see. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Know there, so, 
Uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm not too sure about that one. <laughs> Let's see here. Uh, we're going to go to um, Genesis 41:40, and it says, You will be in charge of my household, and my people will be fed through the command. Only by virtue, the throne, will I be greater than you. Now we see a little bit of something here, and we'll go to um, the uh, the Gospels here. When we go to Matthew chapter 23, verses 11 through 12, it's, he says, uh, The greatest among you shall be to you a servant. Everyone who lifts himself up will be brought low, but everyone who lowers himself will be lifted up. Now we got one more citation for that particular verse here, and this uh, comes from Chazel. And it says, this alludes to the Messiah, son of Joseph, because he will also be compensated for his sorrows. Now, that's a very interesting thing that he's compensated for his sorrows. And that's, you know, kind of can go back to the resurrection as well, which we spoke of earlier, because you had, you know, you know, Yeshua, you know, in the form of a man. Then we have him in this bright light heavenly body just like the first Adam before it is that um you know after well after it is that he's resurrected before Adam fell into sin yeah, and then you also have him uh you know resurrected to the right hand of Hashem and uh, as the prophets speak the, you know the Torah will go out from Zion you know and every man will will be taught the Torah absolutely and and also the fact that he uh then, you know, Mashiach ben Yosef then becomes Mashiach ben David, you know, in terms of the second coming, which is, you know, the conquering king Messiah, you know, to go from a, you know, a, a lowly place much like Yosef. We see both concepts of Mashiach ben Yosef and Mashiach ben David through that of Yosef, which is pretty interesting. Well, so through his sorrows, he was magnified from a lowly posi uh, position that made him great. So to speak. Absolutely. Definitely. Definitely. And uh, we also see this as well in 1 Corinthians 15, 27. I'm reading this from the Aramaic English New Testament. It says, for he was subjected all under his feet. But when he said that everything is subjected unto him, it is spiritually understood that he is expected to, to sub, uh, uh, who subjugate subjected all to him blah 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 <laughs> i'm tripping over my words today <laughs> absolutely absolutely so uh should we go on to the, to the next citation there yeah okay let's see here genesis 41 45 paro named yosef zan uh uh zafanas panier um explainer of hidden things and he gave him Asnas, the daughter of Potipharah, i.e. Potiphar. Now there's debate as to, po as to if it was Potiphar or not, because the both of the names are spelled wrong in or, or, or differently in terms of um, the uh, in in terms of the Gutnikomish, They think it is Potiphar. I, however, say it's not. Because this guy was a priest, is who this was. Okay, so two totally different different professions. The priest of Oin for a wife. And Yosef went forth as a ruler over to the land of Egypt. 
Now, this is very interesting here because, you know, one of the things that we ultimately see here is that Yosef ends up marrying a Gentile. Yeah. Now, this is really interesting because, you know, as you know, those who are, who are watching and, 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 and Christopher, you know this as well, that um, I'm not one of those teachers that goes and bashes Christians. I say that they are, you know, Ger Toshav or they're Ger Siddiquim. I disagree with them on certain things, but the goal of the Torah is ultimately Shalom and Mashiach. That Those two things are the goal of the Torah. And for the most part, Christians have those. But let's think about this here. We have a Messiah that is been um, accepted by the Gentile world. The Semitic world, however, where it is that you and I kind of fish around in, where it is that we kind of reside, you know, um, the thing, the thing there is that for the most part. They reject the concept of Yeshua being the Mashiach. And so this is very interesting, especially given the fact that through his marriage with this Gentile woman, he's given two children that are a part of that have basically been kind of, I guess, for lack of better terms, kind of grafted into the Jewish people that are considered to be part of the 12 tribes, which is Ephraim and Manasseh. So that's, you know, a very, very interesting that, you know, if it weren't for Christianity, I would honestly say that neither one of us would um, have gotten to the place to where it is that we was, we have to where it is that we are. We have to, you know, acknowledge that, you know, I think it's, uh, I think it'd be very disingenuous to say that it wasn't through Christianity that we had gotten to where it is that we are today. That's uh, definitely where I started. Uh, I started in, uh, you know, of course, that's all I ever knew of. I never really even gave thought to Jewish people or anything of that nature. You know, as I said earlier, uh, I didn't really, I believed in a God, but I didn't know what that was. And uh, through reading the the Brit, uh, I kind of learned that, you know, there's more going on here than what meets the eye. And then once learning the Torah, it completely made sense, you know, and everything that didn't make sense in, in the Brit Hadashah became relevant and, and it gave me a greater understanding. And, uh, you know, I, I personally uh, think that if, if people could just sometimes, uh, you know, let loose of their theology, so to speak, and just give uh, a little bit of time towards not only some of the traditions and customs you would you would really see what's really going on here and, and not that uh yeshua jesus doesn't make sense in the christian sense but you would see an even greater significance in, in the things he performed and did and how he fulfilled the torah uh and, you know and of course there's still things he's gonna fulfill uh you know there's a lot of prophecies that are still left to be fulfilled but uh you know, I just think it, it brings just such a greater understanding and just such a, a greater light to it. I mean, I, I don't, it's just, uh, I don't even know how to explain it. <laughs> Once I learned the Torah, uh, you know, I started with the New Testament and I was like, something's not quite right, you know. 
like, what does all this mean and this and that? And then I kind of learned, started digging into the Torah and the prophets. And that's when I learned, you know, the, the Torah and, and the Torah and uh, learned what it was that Yeshua was doing and how he was, you know, fulfilling things and through the feasts and festivals and, you know, uh, through the language there, how, you know, it kind of tied in with everything and how he basically you could follow his, his life and that it was definitely of Jewish origin. So it, it's, you know, it's a Jewish faith. It's not uh, a Greek one. Not now I'm like you, you know, I, my mother's Christian. She doesn't understand anything that I do. Uh, the other day she asked me, well, do you believe in Jesus? I was like, well, of course. I was like, you know, just because I profess Judaism does not mean I don't believe in, you know, Jesus, Yeshua. It just means that I believe in the laws of Hashem and that uh, Yeshua fulfilled, you know, most of them other than the second coming. And, uh, you know, I believe that the, the Torah was put forth for us to have a good, blessed life. And, uh, you know, he says this is life, you know, and, and you can always choose blessing or you can choose cursing. And, uh, you know, kind of like we had, we're just talking about cancer. I think that, you know, sometimes not following the Torah uh, through maybe just, you know, I don't condemn people for it, but eating pig or whatever it may be, you know, it's not a healthy decision. And it, it it's a proven fact that it can cause cholesterol problems and, and toxin problems. And it's just, uh, you know, Hashem thousands of years ago said this was not a good thing for you. You know, same with shellfish and everything else. So he's he created this. He knows, you know what I mean? So she just doesn't understand, you know that uh, the Torah is still relevant and that, uh, you know, those things have not changed. So she thought that because I believe in the Torah, that uh, I have disavowed, so to speak, the Messiah, but nothing can be further from the truth. Absolutely. By the way, you, you just you just started a uh, uh, you just started something here when you said Torah here, because as you see, Yohanan over here had to put Torah Chaim. <laughs> You know, he had to put the the, uh, the living Torahs, you know, the plural yeah. form of the Torah there, you know. So, you know, I, I know I, a little I, bit of Hebrew. I'm just not fluent in it yet. Uh, <laughs> I was really hoping to get the job that I was praying over where I would have had uh, a lot of time off and I was going to really dig deep into the to the language that uh, I'm being put off right now. And uh, financially, you know, I'm being blessed and house is getting paid off and all the vehicles are paid off so uh you know i think he's setting up a path for me to to be able to go in probably prison ministry and you know basically awesome. work you know a, a smaller job and uh, everything will be paid for and i can do what i'm meant to do so to speak well remember as hazel says this as well is for the good yeah so always remember that all right let's see here we got a uh Another one here. Uh, like I said, we got a lot in this section over here. Um, here we got two sons were born to Yosef before the year that a famine set in, um, whom Asnas, the daughter of Potiphar, the governor of On, bore to him. Um, and so what we have there is when we go to, uh, let's see, Pesquita Rabati. It says, when the Satan saw the Mashiach, he trembled and fell upon his face and said, Surely this is the Messiah whom the future will cast me. 
and all the princes of the nation of the world into Gehenna. Um, in that hour, the nations become awestruck and, and said before the Lord, Master of the world, who is he and those in whose hand shall he fall? What is the name and what is his nature? The Holy One, blessed be he, said, his name is Ephraim, my true Messiah. He will raise in stature and the stature of his generation, and he will light up the eyes of Israel, and he will save his people, and no nation and language shall be able to stand up against him. Now it continues on here and says, in that hour, the Holy One, blessed be he, if I can get the slide to change there, there we go, uh, says to him, Ephraim, my true Messiah, you have already accepted this suffering and the six days of creation. Now your suffering shall be like my suffering. And now the thing that's, that, that's interesting here is that you've, everybody's heard to say, Mashiach ben Yosef, Mashiach ben Yosef. But now the thing that's interesting is that here it says Mashiach ben Ephraim. Now, you know, I, I think it's important to kind of discuss this to an extent because ultimately the reason why it is that the vernacular started to change within the rabbinic world here is because of the fact that Ephraim, first of all, went apostate. But however, Ephraim got his name through that of Yosef. So while some were proclaiming Mashiach ben Yosef, some were still uh, uh, waiting for Ephraim to kind of come back into the fold. But if we go back to uh, Revelation chapter 7, we see that we have a certain amount from each of the tribes. Ephraim is not mentioned. Okay, and so there's a reason why the vernacular started to change within that of the rabbinic world. But within here, we see the very suffering that talks about within that of what is to come that we find within that of Isaiah chapter 53. Anything you'd like to add there? Uh, no, I think you pretty much covered that one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I haven't studied a whole lot into the to the prophecy, so to speak. I've really done most of mine towards the Torah. Some of the prophecy of the you know the regathering and things of that nature, but I'm not super familiar with uh, Revelations yet. It's kind of well, been one I haven't gotten to. <laughs> in all honesty, you know, you have a, a group of individuals known as the Two House Movement who thinks that this hasn't happened yet. But in all honesty, it happened during the times of the Old Testament. We find that during the times of Jeremiah, Jeremiah even talks about the, the, the tribes coming back and assimilating in, and they assimilated into Judah. And that's why it is that all 12 tribes are referred to as Jewish and not just one tribe. It's because of the fact that they all assimilated back in. And so, you know, the thing about it, though, is that, you know, that prophecy actually is something that had already are, already happened. And it's and that's also why it is that it doesn't matter what tribe a person is from, they're considered Jewish within that of Torah as well as the words of Hazel. In fact, the the you you see a lot of people today, you know, there's people going and taking advantage of people saying, you know, well, I'm gonna go, you know, I'm I've I've gone and paid two thousand dollars to go get a blood test to go and say that see whether or not I'm Jewish. Now, here's the issue with that is that one of the things that we see throughout the Torah is that a person cannot marry outside of their tribe. It says that several times. Otherwise, right. they lose the things that are promised to that to that tribe, and they're no longer uh, a part of this. So 
I guess, you know, the, the thing that doesn't make sense is that I guess that somehow, miraculously, all these people who say, oh, I found out that I'm from the tribe of this, well, I guess that means that, you know, nobody in your in your lineage ever, you know, married outside of the tribe somehow. Nobody ever went and, you know, slept around. Nobody, you know, I mean, none of these things happened for over 3,000 years somehow. You yeah. know, that's amazing, <laughs> you know. That's why so, you don't even have the same last name as what was originally a Jewish <laughs> name, so to speak. You know, you got a German name where your descendants <laughs> came over to Europe and intermingled with the, the Germans and and those people. So, yeah, it definitely the pure bloodline, so to speak, of, of the Jew. I mean, of course, they're out there, but uh, uh, a lot of people paying all their tests and all that. You know, it's and it's kind of like Paul said, you know. A Jew is not one outwardly, but one inwardly. It's, it's absolutely. The it's the fact that you love Hashem and His Word and His Mashiach, and that you want to do what's pleasing to Him. That, in my opinion, makes you of the Jewish faith. As a matter of fact, one of the things that we see within the Medrash Rabbah is that it says within there um, that uh, that when Mashiach Ben David comes, he will assign people to a tribe. And all that stuff, you know, so that's so, some, something else, you know, that, uh, you know, I, and I don't like people to be taken advantage of. So that's why I had to make note of that, because I've seen people go and spend two thousand dollars in all this stuff. And it's like, in all honesty, you would actually have to have somebody from that tribe and somehow have DNA from them, you know, yeah, which would be almost right impossible now. now. <laughs> exactly. You know, and, and so um and Hadassah says they were they 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 were scattered. They and they absolutely were. You know, all four corners of the earth. And well, that's another issue that I have to the uh, with the. Know, that's kind of like the the Book of Hosea kind of speaks of the scattering and and his, yeah. and his plan. You know, is that he did want his seed and his people to be intermingled throughout the earth. You know, to uh, ultimately bring them all back. Uh, you know, that's. It's a beautiful book, in my opinion. I, I love absolutely, <laughs> and it, yeah. it coincides with you know First Kings, uh, as, you know when uh, uh, Jeroboam, you know, went apostate and uh, mm -hmm. you know went crazy up there in, in the Northern Kingdom and got him exiled. But uh, I think ultimately, you know, that Hashem has divine providence, and that was His plan from the get go. Uh, not that he wanted them to to go against him, but so he could spread his people around the world. Absolutely, that's the concept of the Ein Sof, you know. So, so, you know, for those who are watching, the thing that I think that's important to realize is that there are certain groups that say, you know, all the Jews are, you know, of uh, British, you know, uh, descent, or all the Jews are black, or all the Jews are Hispanic, or all the Jews are this. Remember that all the four corners of the earth. You know, so there are white Jews, there are European Jews, there's black Jews, there's, you know, um, Asian Jews, there's, you know, all, 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 all throughout. It's not one particular color. And I know that's something that is often propagated is that, you know, it has to be all oh, yeah. one color. That's when I tell someone, you know, oh, I'm of the Jewish faith. They look at me and I go, you, you don't look like a Jew. I'm like, what does a Jew look like? I'm, I'm trying to figure that out. You know, I didn't know that there was a certain pattern that you had to take after to, to look like a Jew. You know, so. you're supposed to look like those propaganda 
posters that were used in Germany. Yeah. <laughs> it's just funny to me, you know. And, and then they usually end up saying, oh, don't take it offensive. And, you know, I'm, I'm, you You're know, supposed I'm, to walk around going like this and going, I just, I just, I just, I just. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny. <laughs> we're not here for your entertainment, just so you guys know. <laughs> Let's see here. Let's go on here. <laughs> Let's see. It says, do I have the right slide? Yes, I do. Woohoo! I'm batting a thousand today. Yosef was ruler over the land. He was the one who sold grain to all the people of the land. So Yosef's brothers came and threw themselves to the ground in front of him and their faces to the ground. Okay. Now where we get this here in terms of Mashiach ben Yosef is from Toledot Yitzhak ben Levi. And it says the beginning of the redemption will be the coming of Mashiach, son of Joseph. And this is the son of Joseph who will be ruler over the earth from Jerusalem. He will be the one who sells grain, um, which is the term for teaching and, re and revelation of Hashem. Anything that it is that you'd like to uh, discuss or add in terms of that one? Uh, I kind of drew a parallel to his, his you know, Joseph's vision when he was a kid, uh, the grain been bowing down towards him and, uh, of, you know, his original, uh, vision, I guess you would say is when he came and told his, you know, his parents that you know, I had a vision and these stalks were bowing down towards me and, you know, the stars and all that. But I kind of drew a parallel to that, that, you know, ultimately his brothers and sisters are coming to him for, not salvation, but, you know, kind of a messianic uh, uh, tie to that, too, you know, like. Uh, well, in, in many ways, it kind of is salvation, if you think yeah. about it, because what happens is, you know, one of the things that we find from next week's Torah portion, they find out who he is, you know, first of all, and things yeah. are kind of mended with them and all that stuff. So in some ways, it it really is. Yeah, it definitely has the overtones of, of, of salvation and, and you know, of course, if, if you're starving and yeah, someone provides you with food and substance and technically they have saved you from, uh, you know, poverty and, and starvation, so to speak. So definitely, uh, definitely a parallel there. Absolutely. Let's go to the next one here. Yosef recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him because they hadn't seen him with a beard. Now, in terms of this, this one should be rather obvious, but uh, wait, wait a minute, what happened? Went to the wrong slide there. Where's the right slide? I, I just, I was, I was so happy that I was getting it right, and I actually, uh, there we go. Oh, I went past it. I'll get the right slide here eventually, guys. My apologies. We have uh, this from Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 17 from the Complete Jewish Study Bible. It says, that same day, two of them were going towards a village about seven miles from Jerusalem called Ananias. And they were talking to each other about all the things that had happened. As they talked and discussed, Yeshua himself came up and walked along, uh, along with them. But something kept them from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you talking about with each other as you walk along? They stop short their faces downcast and so that's a pretty obvious parallel there uh 
Anything that you'd like to add there? Now, now the thing about though is that you know I, I know I probably shouldn't be seeing it this way, but I do kind of see that one as being kind of funny in a way, you know, kind of be like you know one of the things you would do if you're playing a joke on your friends, you know, you know, kind of you know disguising yourself. Hey, dude, what are you doing? You know. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> you know, it's that's you know it's definitely a strong parallel there. I mean, there's it's pretty hard to miss that one. <laughs> Absolutely, I mean, you know, it's it's all over that one <laughs> all right then we'll go to the next one it says uh he put them in prison for three days okay now uh the parallel that we actually have here is not actually the one that people would generally think of and this is from genesis rabbah 56 1 and it says the holy one blessed be he never leaves the righteous in distress more than three days Thus it is written in Hosea chapter 6, verse 2, after two days he will revive us. On the third day he will raise us up that we, have, uh, that we may live in his presence. This refers to the third day of the sons of Jacob as it is written in Genesis chapter 42, verse 18. On the third day Joseph said to them, do this and you will live. This also can be uh, related to, you know, of course, the resurrection as well. Yeshua within the ground for three days and three nights and resurrected. Yeah, I think a lot of uh, all throughout the this portion, you see a lot of three days in it, you know. Uh, oh, yeah. Definitely speaks of resurrection and that, uh, you know, he uh, he never leaves us in distress, never gives us more than we can handle and always provides us with a way out. Absolutely. You know, and that's and it's so interesting because the number three within that Judaism represents a complete entity, you know, as the Maharala Prague, it's talked about. And also when we recite the Shema, Shema Desayel, Adonai Elohenu, Adonai Echad, you know, um, so on and so on. We mention God three times and we say the word Echad, you know, which is something that we recite each and every single morning and every single night. So, you know, it's 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 a very huge concept because we also have three forefathers of the Jewish faith, Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yochov. And, you know, of course, that of the matriarchs as well. We got three of them. And, you know, I mean, so the parallels just keep going on and on, as well as three kind of Torah law. We have mitzvos, we have um, uh, chokim, and we have mishpatim. And then we have three kinds of of, of uh, bundles of Torah law. We have Torah Shebektav, Torah Shebiapeh, and Chaim Hatara, the uh, written, the oral, and the living, you know. So, so it's a huge thing all throughout the Bible. Yeah, definitely, it's everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, let's go to the next one here. Uh, if I can get that button to go where it needs to go. There we go. All right, and it says he turned. Uh, he turned away from there and wept since he realized that he regretted selling them. And so with this, we go to the Zohar, uh, Zohar 11 to 12a. And it says, in that hour in which they will tell the Messiah about the suffering of Israel and the exile and about the sinful among them who seek the knowledge of their master, the Messiah lifts up his voice and weeps over those sinful among them. This is what is written in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5. He was wounded because of our transgressions. He was crushed because of our iniquities. And for some reason, I had the wrong 
slide up there and didn't even realize it. Oh, well, sorry, guys. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that was pretty, pretty straightforward. But do you have anything to add to that one? Uh, no, I, I ended up buying it so hard, so I'm kind of fairly new to that one. Uh, I've been reading bits and pieces here, so I'm trying to get a grasp. Oh, excellent. Is it the same one that I have here? Yeah, I actually got, uh, I believe, uh, let's see which one. Yeah, exactly. Excellent. So you know, so you know that, you know, each thing of the Zohar deals with the Torah portions. Yes. Yep. 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 And guess what? That's, uh, that's actually where we're going to wrap up with the reading from the Zohar, from Zohar Maquettes. And uh, what we have here, it says that the stone of darkness and the shadow of death refers to a stumbling stone, namely the Satan, who is called the stumbling stone, because the wicked stumble um, and sin on it. It, um, it abides in what is called the land of gloom as darkness itself, as we see in Eov or Job chapter 10, verse 22. Come and behold, there is the land of the living above, which is the land of Israel namely the Nukuva of Zer Anpin. And there is a land uh, below called darkness and the shadow of death, namely the darkness that is issued from the land of gloom, which is the Nukuva of the Klippa. Uh, what, we are, uh, what are the stone of the darkness and the shadow of death? They are the end, the side of darkness. They are the Satan, the, the, the dress of gold. And this is something that we ultimately end up we see happening here as we see that the um, that the two opposites there of the, the the life and the death that we end up seeing with this. And there's so many different things that we can say about this. That first of all, uh, Hazel, the the rabbis and sages, as well as the apostle Paul, talks about the same Torah being the Torah of either life or being the Torah of death. They can be one of the two there and it all has to do with what is controlling it you can actually fulfill mitzvahs while still being under under the control of the yetzahara of the evil inclination you know if a person goes and is angry and is you know saying i'm fulfilling the mitzvahs of kosher you know and they're being haughty about it and being a jerk to people they've defiled the mitzvahs they've done worse than if they would have eaten a a, a ham and cheese sandwich <laughs> You yeah. know, I mean, who wants to follow a hypocrite, so to speak, you know, absolutely. You know, and so these these are things that we have that we have to 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 think about and be very aware of how it is that the Satan, the inner Satan known as the Yetzirah, how it's in direct opposition to that of the Zer Anpin. Now, I see that your wife had written <laughs> something there and I it, she wrote a lot, so I'm having a hard time seeing it. Can you read it there? Oh, yeah. It says, uh, just want to add that Joseph disguised as an Egyptian reminds me of the Jewish brother not noticing Yeshua because they see him as Greek. Yeah, that's a very good parallel. She's absolutely right. She's yeah. absolutely right, yeah. She's come a long way. <laughs> oh, w women are so much smarter than us, isn't uh, they? Yeah, she picked up on the whole fear thing a couple uh was I don't know which one it was, maybe two or three uh pair of shots ago and you know, I was like, Well there might be something there, I don't know, but that sure that picked up on uh, you know, the Zohar and uh what was it, Hesed? I believe it was Hesed, uh that 
the attributes and i was like hmm, pretty good I'm, I'm oh okay. awesome <laughs> awesome well that's all that i got for this week but do you have anything that uh, you want to bring up or add no nah, that's about it it's been fun and uh interesting and uh i really enjoyed it excellent excellent we hope we and we hope to see you next week as well if you're not working if you're not having to work that yeah, is. that's that's gonna be the thing that's probably the latest i've been up and i don't know how long <laughs> usually i'm getting <laughs> work in about six hours so <laughs> oh i'm sorry sorry to keep you up so late um, there Vic. i've got uh, today and tomorrow off so i'm all right studying and uh, of course lighting the candles and doing all that good stuff so excellent well you guys have a great rest of your night all right all right shalom Shalom. And then everybody else who's watching, Shalom Brachau to you guys as well. And uh, see all you guys next week. So you want to learn Hebrew or Aramaic or maybe both? Make sure to check out HebrewandAramaic.com. All three of the instructors on the website have accredited Moray licenses to teach the languages that they teach on the website. You can take the lessons on your very own time and they even have a Roku channel so you can learn from the comfort of your very own couch. With over 200 videos going step-by-step -step through the languages and all the various scripts and over 100 PDFs of exercises and quizzes, this is the most thorough set of lessons that you'll find anywhere on the languages of the Tanakh and the Brit Hadashah. So visit HebrewAndAramaic.com today and sign up for only $15 a month. No way!